what is going on diesel nation we're excited to have you guys with us today on the diesel podcast if you're watching this on youtube and aren't subscribed make sure and click the subscribe button turn on turn on notifications like comment let us know what you think about the episode um, let us know if there's a particular guest you'd like to have on or a set of questions that you'd like us to ask and yeah, we'd love to be able to hear your guys's feedback and then be able to incorporate it into future episodes today i'm going to be joined by justin and um, i wanted to have him on because he works in the automotive industry um, he's not just an enthusiast, but he also works with a bunch of different companies with uh, marketing, sponsorships, things like that. And I wanted to ask him, how do you get sponsored? Um, what are some things that, you know, as an individual, whether you're a racer, or you have a um, like a SEMA build or, or, or some really cool truck, what are some things you can do to be able to help yourself be more successful in getting a sponsorship? And then also for the companies out there, um, I also wanted to ask why you should pay attention to sponsorships. What is, what is Instagram followers? You know, how many Instagram followers do you really need? Um, does follower count matter? How does that compare to YouTube? How does that compare to TikTok? Um, what things should you look for to be able to separate your company in the marketplace with quality partnerships with truck owners and other businesses out there? So it's going to be a great conversation. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you guys, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off site-wide discount code for you. Just use code 20diesel at kershaw.kaiusa.com. It's a great way to save some money on some really cool gear. And regardless of what your budget is, they've got something for you. Um, if you're a knife enthusiast and are into different types of blade steels, opening mechanisms, handle materials, they've got a ton of choices and a bunch of new releases for 2023. So make sure and head on over there. If you're in the market, check them out, save some money. All right, let's get to today's episode with Dustin and chatting about sponsorships, marketing, truck trends, and uh, a lot of really cool topics. Dustin, welcome to the Diesel Podcast, man. I'm excited to chat with you today. There's a, a lot of really cool things we were talking about before the podcast. I thought it'd be great to do an episode with you and chat with your experience about diesel trucks, sponsorships, tons of different things. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, man. I'm excited to be here. Tell, uh, you know, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your, your experience in automotive, and then also you know, with diesel trucks, a lot of the things that you do. I think that'll help... Um, help give them kind of a, a reference for some of the topics we're going to be covering and really some of the advice we're going to be giving people. Sure. Absolutely. So I was, I love this question. I always get started and I tell people that, that I grew up in a, a, a one stoplight town, you know, kind of a, a church pew or bar stool kind of place. And so for me, you know, I've been around pickup trucks and, and really automotive in general, cause that's, you can see my cat is messing with <laughs> yeah, my lights it. back here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, I've been around, you know, pickup trucks forever. And so, um, you know, it was always just kind of a passion project for me, uh, grew up, went to college, got out of that little town, moved to a town of about 70,000 people, not too far from, from my hometown, um, graduated with a, a degree in agribusiness and science. So really always just been kind of a, a rural kid. Um, and then after I, I graduated, excuse me, and kind of got into the big kid world, right. I realized how cool cars were. So, um, started modding my first car got through some of that, um, ended up jumping on board with a local car enthusiast club that I've been the VP of for about six years now. We've got about 60,000 Facebook member, uh, page members. So pretty big deal there. And then kind of the next major, I'm trying to give you the cliff notes, right? I could talk about this for hours, <laughs> <laughs> but kind of the next big step from there then was, um, was when I started at, at custom offsets, of course, uh, I was in the, uh, the digital marketing side of things, content creation, um, for at the time the biggest wheel and tire distributor in in the world i think so really cool stuff there um 
again, been a been a truck nerd the whole time, right? I've had my LBZ now for three years, I think. I bought it just before the diesel spike uh, when when things got really rowdy. So yeah. um, I've had that truck for a minute and done copious amounts of of work to it and stuck far too much money into it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the the up to speed. Like I said, we could go on on and on on that topic for hours, but that's kind of the high level clip notes. Well, I think all this is going to converge in a few different areas because way back when, what, it's 2023, so say 20 years ago, yeah, there was the internet, but there wasn't really social media. So if you wanted to get attention towards a truck or a build or something you were doing, you had to go to a magazine or somehow get noticed by a magazine to get it in there. And then once we have smartphones and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat, it's good and bad. <clears throat> it's great in the fact that the barrier to getting noticed is almost nothing now um which is great so you don't have to hope somebody hope an editor of a magazine sees you at you know a, a truck show or something like that but then also you can get overwhelmed with all the information so i think your experience with content creation social media being you know into trucks and automotive in general is really going to help us tackle this topic of sponsorship which I have a little bit of experience with it, not trying to get sponsored, but in looking at sponsorship applications and, and then doing a podcast, I'll get questions from time to time from people that say, Hey, I want to, I want to be sponsored. How do I get sponsored? So I wanted to start there is what is a sponsorship? I think that'll help just understanding what it is. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> this is uh, let me drop a hot take on you quick. I hate the term sponsorship, believe it or not. I do too. Um, I, I, I tell a lot of my guys that I work with, I much prefer the term partnership or partner yeah. or build partner or something to that effect. But we can talk about that later. So, I mean, really, I'm very blessed. I've looked at sponsorships from both sides, right? From the business side and my past life. And then, of course, from my personal side. But when it comes down to it, a sponsorship is nothing more than realistically an agreement of some sort between a builder or a, a vehicle owner and a a brand of some sort to be that usually a parts brand right now one of the biggest misconceptions is people always think sponsorship means free and that's crap <laughs> yeah that's a big one you know i think i have a lot of build sponsors or build partners on my truck that i've done cost deals with right because i understand as a business for you to give me free product that that money comes from somewhere somebody paid to produce that good so you know I've done some deals that way as well, uh, but that's one of the, the biggest ones. Yeah. As everyone thinks that sponsored means free and that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like the term partnership better because it really is between the brand wanting to either showcase a product in a particular part of the industry or something new. And then with the truck owner, they have to give as well. They have to give access to the people who follow them, the events they're going towards, um, there, it might even be more than that. It might be talking about them, talking about the company, talking about the relationship. And so I think understanding, you know, what it, what it really is will, will help people if they're interested, you know, in doing that. The, the next thing it kind of, I think, turns to is, well, how do I successfully get a partnership slash sponsorship? What do I need? Do I need, you know, 200,000 Instagram followers? Do I need um, a YouTube channel that has, 50,000 subs. What is it that I need to get sponsored? So that that one is really going to depend on who you're working with, right? Different brands are are going to have different needs, different wants, but I think what it comes what it really comes down to is providing some value back to the business, right? So 
I always look at my partnerships with brands as, as a two-way street, right? They're providing me something, but then I'm giving them some sort of work back. So like you said, is it, is it access to my Instagram followers? Is it, you know, coverage for content for them to be posting that on their, on their channels? Um, but one of the biggest misconceptions I think is that people think you have to have some massive YouTube channel or you have to have a hundred thousand subscribers or followers or insert X, Y, Z, you know, metric to measure. And the, the reality is you don't, I know guys that have been sponsored that have 2000 Instagram followers, but they're some of the best content creators that I know. And when you go to that brand's Facebook page or their website, there's the pictures from that individual all over it, you know? And I know some guys that have 350,000 YouTube subscribers that get sponsored parts and do build breakdowns and reviews of products. So it really, there is no magic number and there's no secret sauce. You know, it really is. What does the business need? What do you need? And then how can you guys work together to essentially achieve uh, that mutual ground? Yeah, so it would really be the quality of it, whether you have 2000 or, you know, half a million. Um, there's yeah. a YouTube channel. I think of, I think it's Chris fix. Yep. Where he's showing fixing things and his content is in my opinion the best automotive content that exists the how engaging it is the way he goes through everything explains everything um and it's a massive massive channel like there's millions of views within days but there's also you can also do that at a much smaller level or when you're just starting out and i think the quality you know like if you look at an instagram page and you see a hundred thousand followers and there might, you know, there's likes on, on posts, but is there any discussion in the comment section or is it like, you know, getting spammed with other yep. things versus a, another guy? There's, you know, 50 comments because they're talking about a part or they're built on, say, an LBZ or 5.9 Common Rail. That's just as important. I'd argue that's more important, right? Follower count means means nothing compared to is it an organic, real following? Are they real people? Is that what... When you think, when I think of large brands, they're established. They've been around for a really long time. They're almost a household name. Is it? I, I guess the the name recognition isn't hard for them, but is it difficult? Or is the reason they look towards partnerships and sponsorships is to be able to have almost that one on one interaction, like you're watching a YouTube video, or somebody's cataloging a build, and you're able to get almost that one-on-one -on -one. this part's going on this is why i like it this is what's excellent about it sort of aspect yeah i think it, it, it's really interesting you bring that up too about like household names and established brands and stuff because there is there's a massive gap in the industry between i would say new money companies and old money companies right and and we can plug in whatever brand names you want here across every facet between the performance wheel tire suspension i mean all of it right you look at some of the companies that are really old, they do zero sponsorships, zero partnerships because they don't they don't see that value. But the ones that are winning are the companies that are looking at that. And, and this is how we, we tie back answer your question here. Uh, it's the the companies that are the the new money companies or the young money companies that are realizing that by getting that product in hand, you you validate and and humanize your brand, right? Everyone knows American force. Right, Force has been around for years. They're arguably the best cat or uh, the best forged wheel company in the market. They've been around for decades. There are other forged wheel brands that have been around equally as long, but don't do any business partnerships. Don't do any work with with 
other influencers or even other content creators at all. And they don't grow sales because of that, because there's no, their brand has no human aspect to it. So people can't connect with it, right? When you see a YouTuber unbox a part, install it and tell you why he likes it. Not only is he telling you why he likes the, the part, but he's subconsciously communicating to, with you why he loves and enjoys the brand. And that's what gets people hooked. It's that people buy from people. They don't buy from companies. And the, the more you can humanize your brand, the better off you're going to be. I noticed that I do that in a lot of other purchasing decisions I make, like, um, I could take anything, say it's something electronic or anything like that. I can find the company's YouTube channel. I can watch their video I can go on their website, but it doesn't impact me enough as if I see a third party do it. Yeah. And so I rarely, if ever buy based off of a company's direct ad, it's always, I saw this video on YouTube. I saw this Instagram post. And that leads me sort of down this road of, well, let me investigate. Let me look up things. Let me research more. And that's really the power of it, I think. Yeah, definitely. And again, I think that I'm, I'm very blessed. I've been on both sides of the spectrum here and I really got to, to see the, the marketing side of things. That's what I did at, at my previous job was um, digital marketing. Right. And, and so to be able to understand how to humanize that brand and connect with an audience has helped me tenfold as a content creator, as a, a person seeking brand partners for my build, you know, because I understand what they need, you know, and, and yeah, it is, it is remarkable. Like you said, in almost every facet, once you start to realize that it, that people buy from people, you start looking at why you purchase certain things and, and break it down. And very rarely is it price. Usually it's more so about, do you like the brand? How does it make you feel? How, how does the product help you in life? You know, I thought of a question to ask you with, yeah, we talked about the old, the older businesses um, versus the new is when I think of old ways of marketing, you had to grab somebody's attention really quick. You either had to hope they were listening at the racetrack. They saw this sign or this billboard or heard this ad somewhere versus you know like what we're doing now is content creation what a youtube channel is doing is content creation an instagram live a TikTok live is content creation you're getting hundreds thousands tens of thousands of people to listen to you for 10 minutes 30 minutes 60 minutes 120 minutes it can be really hard to convey that to the older the old school kind of ways where they're like yep. so what for people who do that who uh you know do lives or do those longer form content are there ways they can reach those older established brands that have, I'd say a difficulty understanding, like if you can get somebody to listen to you for five or 10 minutes, that's powerful. Yeah. I think it comes down to the amount of information that you can give someone in 10 minutes. Right. So like a, a, a radio ad is a prime example. Most radio ads are 30 seconds, right? Tops, yeah. maybe less than that. Sure. You can shotgun blast them and, and hope that you hook them enough to go follow the rest of your stuff. But uh, I see we, we have a, a guest again. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you can hope that you you grab their attention enough to send them to your website, right? And and connect on that traffic. But that audience is only so warm, right? That and I say warm as in they're you know how ready they are to buy. They're they're yeah. interested. If you can get someone to listen to you talk about a product for ten minutes, even five minutes, which is a lot these days with you know, TikTok thriving in seven to 10 second content. They love short form stuff. But if you can get someone for five minutes, that audience is already so much warmer because they know your product. 
They know your key value props. They know why they like that product and they know why maybe they won't like that product. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that do, that are doing that. I see tons of Instagram lives and just videos and things like that. And I think people can somewhat get discouraged a little bit um, when they're starting out or maybe their page isn't that large. Um, you know, as far as how do I, how do I do this? But I think that really almost transitions it to this next part of the discussion that we're going to have, which is, okay, we're talking about trucks. So we're going to be visual. We're going to have truck pictures, videos, and there seems to be a definite kind of break. Like I had um, Lenny Reed on the owner of dynamite diesel products recently. And he was talking about um, this younger guy showing him his TikTok with these huge wheels and these trucks. And he's like, man, I don't, what's wrong with that? I don't, I'm not into that, but it's got 50,000 views on it. And he's like, I need to pay attention to this. I need to think, why is this popular? So we get into these trends and these things of getting attention. What do you see from your perspective with the different age groups, the different demographics and the different types of truck setups that appeal to them? It's, it's yeah, this is a very age old conversation. And I think that to do it, you have to look at it two ways. You have to look at it as a cross-section, right, of, of age brackets, you know, 18 to 24, 25 to 34, 35 to 50, right? You look at it that way. But then you also have to look at it linearly as well in the journey of truck ownership, right? So when we flip it sideways, what you're seeing is the young kids like really big wheels, really thin sidewalls, really wide wheels, right? If you're not hanging six to eight inches outside of the fender, well, that's not their jam. They don't like it and you need to step up. Um, you know, they like more of the the showy, the flashy, the the really, really big and lights all over everything. And that's kind of their, their demographic, right? And then as you transition over and you get into some of the older stuff is where you start seeing more of the, the functional builds, right? The 10 wides, 12 wides, 33s, 35s, leveled trucks compared to really lifted trucks, right? And then that kind of digresses out into the, as they get older. But when you take that and you flip it 90 degrees to the right, what you realize is that you're walking through on the horizontal axis, you're walking through the journey of truck ownership. You're seeing young kids that are buying their first truck that want really big flashy in your face loud it's the same thing as the 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 gasser cars in the 50s right they were owned by 18 to 24 year old kids that just wanted to go fast and then as you work down you start getting into your first build is almost always show right uh, big wheels big tires not very functional the second build is usually a, a performance build of some sort i'd say 60 percent of guys that build a show truck then build a let's go fast truck and then after that, they kind of settle into something super functional. So it, it is interesting how you can take that and, and flip that one way or the other. And, and give, it gives you a really good holistic picture of that. What's really interesting about that is it makes complete sense. And it's it's simple, but I've never connected those dots. I've always yeah. put them into <laughs> segments and said, you know, this age group wants this, this, and then this. But if I think about myself, you know, this was a long time ago, but like I went through that as well. I wanted something to look good. Then I progressed into the performance side where now you wouldn't get me to do a performance build. I'd want something that was reliable, comfortable, you know, had some looks to it that I like, some wheels, tires, the stance and stuff, but I wouldn't go crazy with fuel and air and tuning. And I wouldn't run, you know, all these different things that I used to do, but I'm still the same person. I've still spent money <clears throat> through the industry. Yeah. in the process. So it's, I think that's a really great way to look at it because you can really, 
you know, with a brand, you could be with somebody throughout their whole truck ownership life, not just capturing them at 24 or 34 or 44. Yep. And that's where I, I obviously have worked a ton in the, the wheel tire suspension industry, right? That's the one that I know nearest and dearest to my heart, but I've been blessed that just through osmosis and through some really good connections that I've met a lot of people in the, the diesel performance industry, you know, the, the guys that are doing um, what I would say medium to high horsepower builds. And the biggest opportunity I see right now is that there is a growing gap where those, those diesel performance companies are not connecting with 24 to 35 year olds, really. Right. You know, you have your fair few guys that are buying intakes and maybe a turbo or something, but there's such a huge market there because that diesel performance world is full of guys that are older right there. You know, when I look at, at all the, the leaders of the pack, when it comes to like all the guys that show up to UCC every year, most of them, you know, most of the shop owners are 45 plus. And so they're having a hard time connecting with that younger demographic. And there's a huge market. If you could just elbow your way in there, these are 24 to 35 year old linemen and welders and plumbers and electricians and carpenters and concrete workers and guys that are making a hundred thousand dollars a year and spend six months in the winter time building their trucks. Yeah. Well, also too, is the performance side is almost like the analogy you gave of looking at things horizontally and then vertically is most people don't jump in and say, all right, I want compounds, full engine build, race transmission. Yep. They don't, they don't normally do it like that. It's intake, exhaust, tuner. Now I'm doing a lift pump system. Now gauges, uh, I better do something with the head. So it also progresses like that as well, where I think that would, it, it's a different way to reach people. Like you said, that it gets overlooked because you know better than I do. Wheels and tires and suspension are not cheap. And nope. these guys that are doing them, they have the money to do it. And it arguably costs more than a turbo and an exhaust and a tuner for, you know, a five, nine or an LBZ or something like that. A set of Forge 2414s and 35s right now, like a set of American forces and Nittos will set you back close to 10 grand. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a turbo intake exhaust and a tune for my LBZ. <laughs> yeah, Maybe even a, a couple other things added to it. Exactly. With, um, now, do you see on the business side of it that some companies are attuned to that, that they're taking advantage and seeing of, okay, we can get into this performance side with this younger group and be able to grow with them over the next 20, 30 years? Yeah, there's a couple guys that I think are really starting to get it. And and I'm, I am I do work with a couple of companies as well, um, you know, both very casually and, um, and as well as doing some consulting for them. Um, but yeah, there's a couple guys that are, I think like Jason Worley is really kind of cracking into that market really well. Um, you know, I think Corey at PPE, uh, PPEI is doing a really good job. Um, you know, I think any of those guys that are getting on TikTok, even if they're not nailing the content, if they're there, they understand that the demographic is there and that it's already putting them steps ahead of, uh, you know, uh, XYZ brand that's still trying to sell parts through a generic website. I want to ask you something kind of controversial about TikTok because there's, there's been a lot going on with it is, okay, in the age demographic that I'm in and the time that I've had in the industry, people jump on, they jumped onto Facebook, they jumped onto Instagram, they kind of dabbled a little bit in Snapchat. They were really into TikTok when it started and then they went away from it. 
and I just said, I don't want to, I don't want to do, have anything to do with it. I either don't like, um, you know, the architecture, what's behind it. Um, I don't, I, I just don't want to, I just don't want to do it. And I would say we resisted it for a really long time with the podcast. And then eventually the people just demanded it so much that I couldn't resist it anymore. And, yep. you know, we started to, to do some things on there and I've spent a lot of time just looking at other pages and other things like that. Is it something that, is that where the majority of younger people are consuming social media content? Is it something you cannot ignore if you're a business, a brand you're wanting to grow? 200%. Absolutely agree. And for the record, I don't love TikTok either. TikTok is not my jam. I try to spend as little time on TikTok as possible. Um, but when I look at connecting with an audience and, and understanding where to find people, TikTok is a hundred percent where anyone sub 35 is in my opinion, right? Between TikTok and Instagram. Now, I think what a lot of businesses need to understand is that TikTok doesn't need to be more work. If you're already posting on Instagram, right? If you're already putting reels up, then you're making TikTok content because they're very similar platforms. And then I would argue, I would take that one step further and say, if your brand is on TikTok and Instagram, then you better be on YouTube shorts. And then the, the final layer is, if you're in those three locations, you better be on Facebook reels because Facebook now is, is late to the party as Facebook always is. But Facebook is prioritizing real content, something fierce right now. And it's the same video. When I upload my, my personal content, I put it in all four spots. It takes me 20 minutes to upload and I post to four locations. Same video, same captions, usually the same description. And with, you know, when I think of uploading content, say it hits those four different platforms. And I'm looking at this from the perspective of somebody who wants a partnership or a sponsorship. Is that just it? Or do they also need to now like maintain those four things? Like look at the comments, look at the feedback, um, engage with people, ask questions. Um, because I think, I think people may, if, when they're just getting into this, may think, okay, I, I have these great truck pictures, got this awesome video from the track. I'm just going to post it. Why didn't it go viral? Why don't I have thousands of likes on it? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? What's that process like to grow your audience on these different platforms? I think the easiest way to understand that is to flip it back on its head, right? You have to do a little bit of interesting thinking here and say, why do I follow who I follow, Right. I follow, I follow Greg A because I love Greg A. I think Greg's content is incredible. I think he's a really nice guy. I think he's genuine, right? And so when I look at all those things or even you know, on the flip side, right outside of the performance market, I follow DMX Rhino, right? Ryan, who I got to know really, really well over the last couple of years. But again, he's authentic. He's genuine. He engages with this community, right? So that's what I want to do. When I, when I look at building an audience, I want to make people feel like I feel when I interact with those people. So for me as a content creator, I try to, uh, it's very rare that I don't open a DM or don't respond. And not that I'm, you know, 300,000 subscribers or something, right? I only have, I have 31K on, on Instagram, but I get messages all the time that, that ended up my filtered request. And they're like, Hey man, don't even know if you'll see this. You probably won't open it, but just in case you do, I just had a question. I'm buying a Silverado and I want to know what lift kit to buy. I open all that stuff because their messages like that, people like that are the reason why I get to do what I do. You know, that's what makes it all possible. So 
I think if you're looking to build an audience, if you if you're looking to go viral, you have to make people feel like you do. You have to make them feel welcome. That's all they want, right? People follow people that make them feel good, that, that make them feel like they're connected to you. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's also the power of a content creator that maybe business doesn't quite understand. Because you think of the time put into checking those messages to coming up with ideas for producing who even knows how many hundreds of minutes a year of content. And this company just looks and sees, okay, there's 20,000 subs that this person has, or they've got this many views on YouTube. We're this huge company with a seven figure marketing budget. Let's just do it ourselves. And I see more times than not, it doesn't work. Some of the biggest, not even in automotive, I'm thinking outside of that, the biggest companies in the world, I'll go to their YouTube and we have more subscribers than them. And I'm like, how this company has been around for 300 years or 500 years or 70 years. And I look through the content and there's hardly any engagement in it. So I think that's something really important for businesses out there to also understand with these content creators is it's not like you just throw money at it and it just magically appears. It's that human part, which I don't think you can buy that. It has to be earned through sweat equity and time and investment of the person. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Money helps, right? I know that if someone handed me a, a budget, right, I could give you a number that says I can grow your YouTube channel from zero to 100,000 subscribers in six months, eight months, 10 months, right? But you can't just write a blank check and then pray it works. It doesn't work like that because people don't, they see right through that stuff. They, they, want, they want genuine, they want real, they want connection. Is that something that you see a difference in the age groups? Because I do. I definitely can see it with requests for content or feedback from our episodes. Whenever we've kind of veered off a little bit of truck talk and it's gotten more into the emotional business side, the personal side of the struggles of how did you do this or what were some challenges, I can see a spike in the type of feedback um, versus sometimes we'll get guys that are like, I, don't, I just listen for truck talk. I don't care about this guy's business journey. And I'm like, how can you not care about his business journey? Like, this is so fascinating. And I've definitely seen it from our side, a difference in what people want to hear. It's not just technical data. It's not just X's and O's and torque specs and all that. They want to know why this guy started his company. What challenges did he hit? Um, how did he emerge from this? What was it like um, you know, being faced with all this mounting financial pressure and this personal pressure? And now, you know, you make the greatest product that, you know, that I know in that, that particular part of the industry. So um, how does that factor into the age groups? I mean, I think you're exactly correct. And it that's a very, very multifaceted question because everyone's a little bit different. You know, I think in terms of of what I've seen with brands and especially I feel like it's not nearly as, as relevant with the, the the very young crowd, right? But I would say 18 to 35, right? As those guys are and maybe even, I, I would even step that up a little bit further, right? In my audience, and this, it's gonna be different for everybody, but in my audience, I noticed that guys between 25 and 35 care way more about the who, the what, the why, the how, and and the the sacrifices it took versus less than 20 years old. All they wanna do is see cool stuff, you know? So I think that that comes with coming of age naturally, right? I think when I look back at my life, I care more about someone's story now than than what they have. You know, I, I love storytelling. I love building brands, and I love working with people that that have cool stories. Um, but it's, I mean, that's why I like 
banks power so much, right? Gail Banks has been in the business since damn near the dawn of time, <laughs> but he's the man, you know? So like, I think that it's, it's cool. It's always cool for me to see, um, to see brands tell stories, but yeah, that, that doesn't always hit with some of the other audience demographics. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that you kind of learn, you know, along the way. Well, now say you have a younger guy that's, that's say that 25 to 30 range. And they've listened to this podcast and, you know, they could visualize instead of looking at things horizontally, look at it vertically. And they're a content creator and they say, well, I also want to appeal to somebody who's 45 or 55 and somebody who's 19 or 20. What are some tips to be able to relate to these different age groups that you may not be in and you may not know exactly what they want to hear, but you don't want to leave them out? Yeah, definitely. I think it comes with creating content and I'm strictly putting on my content creator hat right now, right? I think it, it comes with creating content for the platform, right? Because the demographics are very different. I know, and even though I post the same content on all four channels, right? I do that daily. But I know when I put a TikTok up sometimes, if it's controversial, that it's going to blow up on TikTok. I posted one the other day that uh, basically told people that the 7.3 power stroke was overrated because it didn't make enough power to pull itself apart. And TikTok came to my house with torches and pitchforks down here, <laughs> you know? But it's controversial, right? And TikTok loves controversy because they're a younger group and they're they're still trying to find their voice in the world, right? Versus when I post Facebook content, I know Facebook is full of what I would say is a little bit older demographic, guys that are established. They don't need to prove to me that that their manhood is measured up, right? They want to talk, they want to talk technical, they want to talk real, and they want to talk about actual product experience for functional stuff. So I if there is no right or wrong answer there, right? But I think if you're trying to connect with the audiences, then you need to understand who you're talking to when you make your content. That's a really good point. There was a clip, um, gosh, now it was about eight or nine months ago, we did an episode on uh, emissions and deletes, you know, with a lawyer and we released it on YouTube. I think it was in August. And I think on YouTube, it's got about 165, 170,000 plays, which, you know, for us, it was really great. We put it on TikTok, just a short clip, and it's got seven, almost 750,000 plays. Or I can yep. take another thing, and it's like, okay, and I know, you know, at that point, it's like, we need to understand, um, you know, were we even reaching these people before? What, why do they gravitate towards this? More so than somebody who's an expert in their field talking about turbos or fueling yep. or this transmission question that me personally, I might find more interesting. But there it, you know, it gravitated towards people. And so just understanding the different ways, you know, to, to reach people like on TikTok, if, if you were able to post a 90 minute podcast, would people really listen? Unless you're, if you're Joe Rogan, I'm sure they would. But other than that, probably not. But you can put that on YouTube and people will watch that longer versus, you know, iTunes yep. and, and Spotify and things like that. So I think understanding the platform too, if you're looking for a sponsorship slash partnership is really helpful. And then fitting that into what you like to do. So people may not want to do long form content, um, but there's options for short form. You might not like short form. You might feel like you're constrained creatively and might need to take more time. So I think that's a really good point that you made. Yeah, I think the biggest thing there is understanding that the platforms don't grow the same and views don't mean the same on everything. A hundred thousand views on a TikTok means less to me than a thousand views on a pillar video, right? Because TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, they're so quick that you're not, it goes back to that conversation about someone's time, right? And, and the warm versus cold audience thing. 
you know, you can only do so much in that short form stuff. And so understanding that and then understanding if you're a new content creator and you're on the YouTube grind, because regardless of what anyone tells you, YouTube is an absolute grind and it for the first eight to 10 months is going to suck. There's no, no way to sugarcoat that. You're going to want to give up every two days, but you just got to push through it. Um, but understanding that is so critical because otherwise what will happen is you'll see guys that spin up TikTok accounts and they blow up, they post two viral videos that they just get lucky with and they have 300,000 you know, followers, subscribers. I forget what TikTok calls it, but that doesn't mean nearly as much as what a, a YouTube sub does in my opinion. Yeah, that's. I think that can be tough from the business side too is judging what is successful because you know a lot of those people are probably used to how Facebook was and then got on the you know Instagram and so they take what is deemed successful on Instagram and then you try to apply that to YouTube or vice versa it's totally different the the way the the following works how can how can a business understand that how can they you know, because I'm sure there's applications or inquiries that come over and somebody says, well, I got 350,000 Instagram subs and a thousand on YouTube, or I've got 5,000 on YouTube, 2000 on Instagram. How do you judge the quality of, of the content? I think you have to look at, it's again, it's very multifaceted, right? But I think you really have to look at what's the demographic of your creator and then what's their audience. If, if you have a 45-year-old a, a come to you that's making YouTube content and he's got 20,000 YouTube subscribers and he's got 2,000 on Instagram, that's a dub. He's got 20,000 people that are listening to him because that's his demographic. If you have a, I would, I would say that's just as equal as if a 19-year-old kid sends in a message and says, hey, I just started my YouTube channel. I have 300, 300 subscribers, but I have 350,000 on TikTok because that's where his people are, right? And so that tells me that he knows, he or she knows how to connect with their audience. They, they're understanding where their people are and that's where their influence is, is where, whatever space that the rest of the like-minded individuals are. I'm realizing and chatting about this with you that there is so much I don't know or I've got about a thousand other questions and we could do some like Joe Rogan-esque or Sean Ryan four and a half hour podcast or <laughs> like take a break and get lunch and come back. Um, I definitely think we should chat about this, you know, more in the future or take some questions that people have after we release this, that they might have about specific parts, but you gave me a lot to think about with one, how I look at content and then two ways that people who want to get into this on either, you know, either getting sponsored or a business that wants to grow. And they're saying, Hey, I've got to do something. I want to do something different. It's 2023. How do I do this? How do I look at all these different avenues and, and effectively come up with a plan to engage in it? Um, so it was really cool to chat with you, and I really appreciate you reaching out. And like I said, I, I know there's going to be a whole bunch of other questions I personally have for you. Yeah. Um, but I think I think what you talked about and, and what you're doing, it is the future of automotive, and it's so incredibly important because we need more people. We need younger people rarely does somebody at 45 or 50 come into this and say, all right, I'm ready for a $40,000 build. Let's do this. You normally you're younger, you get into it, you dabble in it a little bit. You might take a break, but you come back. Yeah. You, know, you got a little bit more money then you're investing, you know, into the parts and, and everything else. So it was fantastic to chat with you and learn a lot about this. 
Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I would, you know, if, if anyone has questions, have them drop it in whatever comments or however they could get that over. And I definitely, I'd love to come back. I, uh, like I said, I have a very unique take on a lot of this stuff because I've been involved in both sides. So it's been really incredible to, to be able to share some of that insight with, uh, with folks. Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 20Diesel for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money on some really cool gear, whether you need something for hunting or fishing, um, you know, everyday carry, something to throw in a toolbox or a drawer. They've got a ton of different choices regardless of what your budget is, and we appreciate them offering this discount code exclusively just for Diesel Podcast listeners. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowen at 23 Diesel, John, Joe, J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters, all of you who subscribe on Discord, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, podcast apps. We appreciate all the support you guys have given us in year seven and look forward to bringing even more awesome shows in 2023. Till next time, keep the shiny side up.